and welcome to Tiny Voice Talks with me, Tori Bono. And today, Tiny Voice is talking about that thing that we often consider where within our teaching days, etc. Well, at least I have. It's all to do with that leadership journey. You know, I don't know about you, but when I started teaching, it felt like I needed to be on a journey and I needed to know the journey and I needed to figure out where the bends were, where the ups were, where the downs were, what I needed to do. And it's complex. And I am joined today by Oliver Wright to talk about the complexities of the leadership journey. So welcome, Oliver. Hi, Toria. It's really good to be here. I am so excited to have you <laughs> back because... Yeah. Um, Regular listeners of the podcast will know that, oh my goodness, it must be about two years ago now. I we, think it was, wasn't it? Yeah. It was a long time ago, yes. Yeah. We actually recorded your first podcast mm. with me, which was called Unbreakable. You yes. need to listen to that, uh, listeners. I'm not going I'm not going to do any spoilers. If you want to know why it was called Unbreakable, you need to go and listen to the episode. It's a good one. But for anyone that hasn't listened to that episode yet and is going to listen to it after this, who is Oliver Wright? Um, you know, Tori, that I find it really uncomfortable trying to sort of unpack that and I answer do. this question. So <laughs> I'm Oliver. Um, I live in Sheffield. I have been in education for 20 something years. I think it's about 25 years. Um, I've been a head teacher, did eight years of headship across two schools. Um, I am a governor, soon to be chair of governors, uh, and I work for Twinkle Educational Publishing, and I lead the, the leaders team, uh, which is the senior leadership side of the business. Um, and that's about me, I think. Well, you missed out a really important one, Ooh, which is that you are a contributor to the Tiny Voices yes. Talk book. Yes, I've written a chapter. You really have. really enjoyed doing that as well. Well... And that's sort of one of the reasons why I've got you on here, because mm-hmm. your chapter is all about leadership, because, yes. um, I mean, do you want to tell the listeners how that sort of came about initially? I can do, yes, because there's a bit that I've almost, as, as you're talking, I'm thinking there's another yeah. bit that I've missed out here. There's but so much to you. There's so, so many bits, yeah. I, yes. I just keep it under a, under a shell at times. But one of the things that I do is I present um, Talking Heads on Teacher Hub Radio. And it's an absolute joy to literally have an hour's conversation with somebody in school leadership. Um, and I've interviewed loads and loads of head teachers and deputy heads and CEOs and, and all sorts of people within schools. And what I found was there were sort of common threads coming through from a lot of those interviews. And, and many of the leaders had sort of similar experiences of journeys into leadership and they were things that you wouldn't necessarily think about so lots of people when they talk about going into leadership they feel as if it's you know get qualified as a teacher and then you know do a few years and get good at that and then become a subject leader and then an assistant head and it's going to be a a straightforward process whereas there were lots of people I was talking to who hadn't had that straightforward journey and had some sort of common threads that that were applicable to all people in education so it wasn't just for those you know, aspiring to be head teachers or CEOs. It was those who who possibly are are thinking of stepping into teaching or those who are thinking of sort of taking the first tiptoe into a promotion or something. Mm. Um, and those those things I thought were really valuable. So that was why I wrote the chapter. And I think that's so key because 
What's interesting about education, and I'm sure this is the same for every single profession, but I don't know because I'm just in education. But when I went to university to train as a teacher, I trained as a teacher. I trained in teaching and learning and classroom practice. And at no point was I given lessons in leadership. And yet, as soon as we step foot in that classroom, we are a leader, aren't we? Yes, absolutely. And you also probably weren't given lessons in how to engage with your cleaner and your caretaker or how to how <laughs> to manage parents or, you know, there's lots of interactions you have in school that mm. go far beyond just that. How do I plan a lesson? How do I plan a sequence of lessons? And then how do I deliver them? So yeah, there's a lot more to it. There is. And I think one of the one of the initial ones, I think, that throws a lot of new teachers, student teachers and ECTs, is that relationship they have with their teaching assistant or their learning support yes. assistant. Because um, I, I have known young student teachers who yeah. are, you know, like really young. They are mm-hmm. doing a teaching degree. They're in their first or second year or whatever. So they're maybe 18, 19, and they are having to give what they think are orders yes. to someone who is much older and more mm. experienced. And that's tricky, isn't it? It's hard. But then there's also the parallel of that. If, if you're a young person trying to, um, to give instructions or to give direction to a, a much more experienced um, support staff member, there are parallels of that bit, you know, with a, a person newly into leadership having to do the same with a much more experienced teacher. And it's yes. how you do that and how you draw on those experiences from somebody and how you sort of include them in that process rather than dictating to them or or giving them instructions or, you know, complete direction. It's using their experience and having those conversations where you've got the confidence to say, look, you know, obviously I'm the teacher here, but what do you think would work here? Uh, and then be able to use that knowledge to, to better develop your own practice. But does knowledge come from experience and where do you gain that experience if it does? Oh, that's a really good question, isn't it? I know. I've got much better at my questions in the last two years, <laughs> Oliver. I've, oh, no. I've really improved on questions. I'm getting all nervous now. I'm going to get involved. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a there's a real crossover with that, and I think with with teaching there is is some of it that is is personality based almost, and it's who you are as a person, mm. and some of it is what you learn that you can you know do the reading or observe people doing, and then some of it is finding your own way to to make that yours. So you know you can read all the books, you can go watch all the best teachers, but you then have to make it you that's delivering that, and it might be slightly different in your style. Yeah, absolutely. I think personality is a big thing. It really is because, and what I've noticed, and I think I've noticed it more within, as I've developed in the coaching, Mm -hmm. is that oftentimes people are trying to morph themselves into someone else that they've observed because they think that's how they should be. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. You have to be comfortable in your own skin and in how you're behaving within a a school setting. You can't just watch somebody else and and then copy it blind. And I remember working with with somebody who was a trainee teacher and he was a big bloke. He was like as tall as me, six foot two, Mm. XRAF, um, had a you know amazing career in the military and had decided to do primary teaching and he was doing a placement in in an early year setting with a very 
dainty sort of five foot tall um, girly girl type teacher if you can picture and she had a way of calming the children down by just tinkling a tambourine and, and all the children stopped mm. and when he tried to copy that he just looked so uncomfortable and the children picked up on that that you know this great big bloke with a beard was tinkling his tambourine and feeling embarrassed about it so they sort of didn't really react in the way that was wanted and as soon as he worked out a way that worked for him it completely changed the whole situation and the children responded to it because he was comfortable in his own skin and he was behaving as him, not as a sort of caricature of, of this lady teacher that he just didn't feel comfortable doing. Yeah, and I think that's so important, being comfortable in your own skin, whether that's yeah. within teaching or mm. within leadership. Because yes. again, I have seen leaders who have tried to be other leaders that they've observed and it just yes. hasn't worked no no and I, I mean I worked in a school at one point in Sheffield where the, the leadership team had gone and observed another school and then tried to bring it back and it yeah. just didn't sit right and this was a school that's incredibly successful the head teacher's incredibly charismatic and, and successful at what he does but it didn't work for them in their setting and it, it has to be context specific and it has to be where you are comfortable in your own skin um it's one of those things where you need to nudge a little bit out of your comfort zone sometimes. You can't be just sort of, you know, rolling along, feeling as if everything's cosy and everything's lovely, but it does need to be you that's doing it, not copying somebody else. I think that's absolutely key. It really is. And that thing about making sure that it's, you know, you're, you're doing it for you for your reasons as such and yes. not for the school down the road I spoke to Nick Hart about that actually in school improvement yeah, great, and he, isn't yeah and he was very much actually you really need to ensure that you're doing what's right for your school and your mm. people and not yes. because the person down the road has said oh it's really good you need to do this <laughs> yeah but equally so you know, oh, I've got so many things now that are popping into my head, Oliver. It's oh, just no. like, oh my God. Honestly, <laughs> I, I've, got, I've got a, we could be here for hours. That's um, great. But the first, I, <laughs> I think the first, one of the things I'm thinking about is to get from ECT yes. to head teacher or CEO. Is it that you need to plan out a journey or you do you just like roll with the, you know, roll with the, was it roll with the waves roll with the tides I, I don't know i like this at the end of the seaside analogy though roll with the tides let's roll, roll with, with the, the tides. Tide. let's go Part, with that. yeah so is it I, that you just do that or do you need to plan it out i i think it's one of those things that is is specific to certain people so you mm -hmm. know there may be some people who can have that massive master plan and i'm going to do this and i'm going to do that and i'm going to you know work it all out but I think for most people, it's a case of just nudging themselves forwards into it and taking the first steps and maybe not having that master plan of I need to be a head teacher by 35 or I need to be, you know, deputy head by 30 or whatever. It's just taking on responsibilities, doing things really well and then seeing where it leads you. And certainly in my journey, I never set out with the intention of being a head teacher. It was like literally I want to be a really good classroom teacher. And when I felt like I'd sort of almost got there, I opened my eyes and went, right, what's next? And it's like, I feel like I'd really like to be a good team leader. So I sort of nudged into that. And then it was the same again. You know, you get really comfortable with that. You feel as if you're having an impact. And then you just nudge into the next step, which was like, right, I want a bit more whole school. So went for an assistant head's job. And yeah. 
it's almost those get to a point where you feel as if you're doing a really good job, get to the point where you feel as if you're having a really big impact and you're serving others through what you're doing, and then look at what you fancy doing next. And it doesn't have to be a straight line progression and it doesn't have to be a classic sort of, you know, I'll be a team leader, then I'll go for maths or English subject leader because that's important, then I'll go for assistant head. It's just finding your way through it. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, you know, in the book, I talk about the climbing wall analogy. I love that one. Originally, I talked with Nick Owens about it because it is the fact that often we feel that leadership is a straight line journey up that ladder. But it's not because leadership is very much, I think, now this is Mm. my opinion, listeners, but yours might differ and yours might differ too, Oliver. But Mm. I think within leadership, that leadership doesn't sit comfortably if we're not doing the thing that's right for us in that yes. moment and something that sits it would go back to personality something that sits well with us yes. and that's why we need to for me my leadership journey has sort of followed one that I've gone oh actually yeah no I'm comfortable in that role no mm-hmm. I'm not comfortable in this role yeah. now I've gone off into you know I know for me that I love teaching. I absolutely adore teaching children, but I also really love supporting staff. Mm -hmm. So that's why I've done the coaching because that for me is a way that I can have both of those. And I was talking to someone the other day who who was feeling strongly that she needed to climb up the career ladder, this, you know, career ladder that we seem to all think about. And she said, but I don't want to lose touch with the children. But I also don't want to be teaching and doing leadership because I also want a life. So what do I do? Yes. I think it's important that you look at what matters to you. What is it yes. that gives you joy? Because mm-hmm. actually, I know head teachers that get gr- deep joy out of health and safety and premises yes. stuff. Yeah. It's finding your sweet spot, isn't it? It's finding where mm. you fit in. And, you know, if you're a spreadsheets person, great. Find a role that involves lots of organization and lots of detail like that. If you're a people person, find a role that involves people and developing people um and i think the other thing that we need to be a little bit careful of sometimes is being hung up on the job title of you know i am i have a tlr or i have a a responsibility or i have a an area of curriculum or something and actually see that everything that we do has a leadership element to it and whether we're a head teacher or not whether we're an assistant head or not there are aspects of of our behavior and aspects of the impact we have within our school that our leadership and if you nudge into those very often, you know, there can be additional responsibility for that. There can be additional roles that are paid or possibly just, you know, part of your job that you take on as a, you know, I'm the person who looks after this. Um, and it is all leadership. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think there is that thing about titles. Yes. I know when I left leadership and, you know, I mentioned this in the book, the fact that I left it, you know, due to... Um, health diagnosis, etc. And I've talked about it on the podcast as well that, you know, due to my um, mastocystosis, I decided to return to the classroom. But I remember having this really strong feeling of failure, actually, if I'm yes. honest. Um, whenever my, my name badge no longer said, you know, head teacher, it said teacher. Yeah. And it's like, oh my God, now I'm really mm-hmm. comfortable with it. But it yes. took it took time. Yeah. It took time for me to recognize that 
this wasn't a failure, it was a choice. Mm-hmm. And actually the role of head teacher wasn't right for me yeah. um, at that time. Mm-hmm. And actually it wasn't a role that gave me deep joy. Yes. However, mm-hmm. my current role does give me deep <laughs> yeah. joy, you know. And like, you have to be in that sweet spot, happy. don't you? Yeah. You do. Because it's funny, you know, I walk I go into to school now with a sense of joy because I know I'm going to have a really lovely day. Yes. yes. But it's really interesting because there is something about those titles. Yeah, and it depend it it impacts on the way other people interact with you as well, doesn't it? it does. Some, some people are very comfortable to just go, you know, you're Toria, you're great, that's it. Whereas other people almost want that sort of title to hang their expectation of you on. And I noticed mm. it when I came out of headship that you know I went from introducing myself as Hi, I'm Oliver, I'm a head teacher, and people would know, and they'd almost sort of put you in the the pecking order of where you fitted in with society. To when I so started saying I'm Oliver I work in education and you could see people looking at it going mm. well are you a teacher you you're a bit older so are you a head teacher are you you know what do you do and and they couldn't really place it and it, it made it more awkward for them almost yeah I think you're absolutely right and it is a strange one it's a really strange one but I think we need wouldn't it be wonderful if we worked in a world where people weren't scaling a ladder because they felt they needed to or they felt they needed that job title in order to fit in better into society but just because you know because they wanted to and actually they were able you know I I have always taken my hat off to a very 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 dear friend of mine actually Mm -hmm. who has remained in the classroom since we first trained so Mm -hmm. and you know I've often said to her oh do you know not want to go you know do you want to do this and that she went no I am happy. I am yes. really happy. And actually, for when I returned to the classroom, I thought, God, you know, like I, I've gone on this this journey. In a sense, for <sighs> yes. me, I, I went on this little journey to discover that that wasn't the right yes. thing for me. And I think my health was was great. In a sense, mm-hmm. I think I do thank my health because I think it gave me the answer I needed, which is that's yes. not right for you. Yeah. But it was, you know, I remember thinking about my friend and thinking she had the confidence and the courage to just say, this is what I want. And I think that's what we need to do with our leadership journey. Look at what it is that we want that works for us, because there are so many different opportunities out there, aren't there? Yes. And you're right when you mention confidence and it it takes an awful lot of confidence to say, no, I'm really happy with what I'm doing. And I'm making a really big difference with what I'm doing because it's the right thing for me mm. and I'm good at that job. And I think it's it's easy to, to feel like you have to progress in order to have that title or that salary or, you know, it's, it's what people do. But having that confidence to say, no, this is what I do and it makes a difference is really key. And, and that's at all levels within the, the, the education world. You know, actually saying I am working with a small group of children and I am making a massive difference to them is is really important rather than saying I'm a teaching assistant or I'm a teacher or I'm a support worker or I'm a whatever you are. I think you're right and it's interesting you've just triggered something a, a memory in where you know I, I was talking to some teaching assistants and one of them was sort of talking to another one and in a sense sort of urging them to apply for to be a teacher yeah. And they didn't, they didn't want to be. They were like, I'm really happy. I yeah. am really genuinely happy being a teaching assistant. I don't yes. want 
to be a teacher. Yeah. And it was just really interesting because I think, again, it's that confidence, that confidence mm-hmm. to know that what you're doing, where you are, is where yeah. you want to be. And if you're not, mm-hmm. what are you going to do about it? And where are you yeah. going to go? Yes. And it's also about recognizing your strengths within that. So nobody is ever just a teaching assistant or just a teacher or just an assistant head or just a deputy head or whatever. It's knowing what there is that you do and that you're passionate about that you can make a difference with that's different to other people. And having the confidence to stick with that is amazing. But but having the sort of the wherewithal to say, I'm going to develop that further is even more amazing because I don't think there are many people in education who are just sat there going, well, I'm just marking time. I'm just going to sit here and just sort of plod along. It's it's finding those passions and then it's developing them so you are a better teaching assistant or a better teacher or a better leader or whatever it is that you're doing because you've lent into those things. One of my greatest sadnesses, I suppose, is that we have so many people leaving education because they can't see a way beyond the ladder. Mm-hmm. And they are they don't know what to do. Yeah. What's the answer to that though? I don't know. I actually no, I've just opened what. the book. I've opened mm-hmm. the book at your chapter and I'm looking at it, seeing if the answer to that's in the book. I'm um, not sure. <laughs> <laughs> I've got all my ten points and it's like there are aspects of those. <gasps> but it, it comes down to being comfortable in your own skin. And mm. it comes down to find maybe not finding the perfect fit but finding a reasonably good fit. And I think that's where the confidence comes in sometimes to to recognise that you're in the right place and that's right for you. Or if you're not in the right place, to then go looking for the right place because that, you know, there are schools that just aren't a good fit for, for certain people. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think you're right. And I think that comes you know, I, I remember talking to Matt DeShane about that, about, mm-hmm. you know, values and actually yes. recognizing where you are and recognizing whether the fit of that school yes. and what that school prioritized fits mm-hmm. with you. Mm-hmm. I mean, my current school just fits me like a glove. That yes. sounds really bizarre, but it just does. <laughs> no, I, I get that totally. You know, I, I feel content and happy because what their priorities are are my priorities and it sits really well with me yes. and I I can't say I mean I've been working in education now for 23 years and I can't say hand on heart that that has always been the case no. and I but I do think that when you work somewhere where you feel comfortable there is a comfortability now interestingly when you shift somewhere because of a leadership post yes that can create a bit of um um, i'm trying to think of the word now oliver um a bit of a split can't it because actually if your leadership values are different from the leadership values within the new school yeah that's tricky it's massively tricky and i think it's one of those there's almost a chicken and egg situation goes on there where Mm. if you're looking for a leadership post you need to be looking for somewhere that the values align and even as a new head teacher, you need to be looking at what the governor's values are and what they're actually wanting to do in that school. Um, and it's interesting, literally, this, somebody shared a, a a job advert this week with me for a, a CEO that was secondary based and sounds amazing. But the trust had written the whole thing based on 
the values of what they were trying to do mm. rather than what the school could offer or, you know, what the children were like or what the results were like or whatever. And it really read as somewhere that if you aligned with those values, it would be perfect for you. And the invitation at the end was literally, you know, if, if this matches your view of education, yeah. then we'd love to hear from you. And it's, it's almost, it's important then to when you are looking to, to ask those questions. And it's not just, is it the right size school or is it in the right location? It's, is it going to be a good fit for me? And are my values aligned? And then I'm going to feel comfortable working there. Mm. Yeah. Because I think often, again, I was talking to someone else that was desperately, desperately looking for a post and it was a post anywhere. And I think sometimes we can feel, oh, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I've just passed my MPQSL. Mm-hmm. I need a deputy headship. I need, yeah. and it's like I've got the, de- you know, I need to do something. Yes. And then they're just massively, you know, running around looking for these deputy head posts, mm-hmm. but not considering the fit. Yes. Well, almost to take that back to to anybody applying for for work in education, if you're a, a literally qualifying as a teacher now and Mm. you're looking for your first role you can't be so picky that you're looking for the perfect school and you know you wait for that to land in your lap but you you do need to find somewhere that's aligned with your values and and that what they're trying to do is is similar to your outlook otherwise you're not going to be comfortable there and and that's where you, you know you may just struggle because you're not going to get the support that you need or, or everything that's happening in school is going to feel slightly at odds to what you feel inside about how it should be. Absolutely. And it's interesting. I was talking to Heather in the last couple of mm-hmm. episodes about, you know, um, moving beyond rewards and punishments. We were talking yes. about two very, very different ways of approaching behavior within yes. school. One being relationship based and one being following the behaviorist approach. Now, I would struggle immensely Mm -hmm. to work in a school that was very much just about the behaviorist approach, but, you know, rewards, punishments, you know, we reward Mm -hmm. this and we punish this and, you know, and actually not about building the relationships because Mm -hmm. I am all about relationships. Yes. That's, that's my raison d'etre as such. Mm -hmm. So I have to work somewhere that yeah. meets that meets that yes and it, and it was really funny talking to her because I hadn't actually considered how much that is a core value of mine yeah and that's where it's so important to get really clear on what your core values are yes before you know right at the beginning of your teaching journey or your journey in education to be really clear on those and that makes it easier then to say yes to things or say no to things and there will be people who, you know, totally believe in rewards and sanctions and that's how it should be. And if they find a school that matches that, they're going to be really comfortable and really effective. Yeah. And equally, just like I'm with you on relationships and people and, you know, that's how it works for me. So I would be incredibly uncomfortable if it was, you know, a very legalistic way of, of operating. But it works for some people. And if you're clear on your values, you, it, it gives you that sort of lens to look at things through and go, right, that's just not aligned. So that's not for me. It's not to say that it's wrong. It's just not not right for me at the moment. Yeah. Now, you write something really interesting in your chapter, which is act as if you already have the role you aspire to. Yes. And I find that really interesting. Mm-hmm. So talk to me more about it. I think it's one of those things I've... I've seen, I've done it myself mm. and I've seen others do it. And a number of the heads that I talk to 
through the radio program mentioned it as well, which is why I included it. And it's one of those things, it's not sort of strutting around, you know, as an ECT pretending you're the head teacher and you own the place and, and you know, it's your school and, and all the rest of it. But it's just about having the confidence to hold your head up and act as if you're in that role, but also almost begin taking on some of those responsibilities. And it's not an invitation to be taken advantage of and, you know, run the assessment for the whole school and, and you know, as a classroom teacher without that responsibility and that is part of your job description or being paid for that. Mm. But very often, if if you sit waiting for, for something to land in your lap, you, you're going to be left waiting. Whereas if you go out there and, and begin to do it or begin to nudge into or begin to ask if you can take on a little bit of responsibility in that, it shows other people that you're interested and it helps you to develop the skills so that when that role comes up in your school or in another school, you've you've got a little bit more to offer and you've got a little bit more experience of it. Yes, that makes complete sense. It really mm. does. And one of the other things you've put, which I think is great, is read widely. Like, yes. like the Tiny Voice Talks book, everyone, the Tiny Voices Talk book, which Definitely. did you know, Oliver, mm-hmm. our podcast listeners can get 30% off. I didn't until you mentioned it. I knew there was a discount code doing the rounds, but then I I was really, it's literally, whenever I talk to anyone um, for podcasts or radio or whatever, I ended up making notes and it was the first thing. It was like, right, I'm writing that down. There's a discount code. So it is tiny 30 Mm -hmm. and and it gives 30% off. But so you've said read widely and reflect deeply. And I think that's so key because actually, Education is continually evolving, isn't it? Yes. And it was one of the things that struck me most about some of, and I I don't want to get anyone in trouble for this, but Mm. there were certain guests that I had on who almost everything that they talked about was, I've read this or I've visited this or I've listened to this. And they were obviously just really hungry for how to develop themselves. And it showed and it came across and I just thought I would love to work in your school or I would love to work in your trust with you because mm. they were so hungry for that. How do I get better? How do we manage to do this? How, what can I learn from other places? And it really struck me that those are the people who are going to continue to grow. And, you know, as things change and evolve in education, they're not going to be saying, oh, in 2012, we were doing this and we're still doing it. They were the ones who were going, right, what's next? And, and what can we do that's even more effective? And, you know, can we evaluate what we're doing and tweak it slightly or can we change it entirely if it's needed? Yeah. Um, and it was that sort of that, I don't know, mental agility or excitement or I'm not quite sure what it was. It was probably a combination of a number of things, but it was really important. And it's one of those questions where, you know, if I ask it on the radio, I say, what are you reading at the moment? And you can feel some people will scrub around going, oh, I'm not quite sure. And others will be like, right, I've literally got my book list on my desk here and, you know, I can Mm. read off the titles and I've learned this from this book and I've learned this from this podcast and I've engaged with this person. Um, And it's fascinating that in the, I'm going to sound really old when I say in the world that we live in now, but it, it is because those people are out there and, you know, being able to engage with yourself through Tiny Voice Talks or being able mm. to engage with other authors. I mean, you mentioned Nick Hart. He's got a couple of books that are both yeah. brilliant. I've had him on the radio. He's a lovely guy. And he, he, you know, through Twitter, you can engage with those people and have that conversation and learn even more from them. So, yeah, it's an important step, I think. 
I wonder if that comes back to that knowledge that we were talking mm. about that and, and the thirst for knowledge, because, you know, we yes. were talking about, you know, does leadership come from knowledge, you know, knowledge and experience and so yes. on. And actually, if you don't have that knowledge or the experience, it's, you can equip yourself with it. There is yes. stuff out there. And that's the thing, mm. you know, nowadays we are so lucky. Yes. If we, you know, we've got the internet, we've got the most amazing educational books out there yes. and authors. We've got educational podcasts. We've got educational mm. radio stations. Yes. I mean, all of these things. We don't have teacher TV anymore, but you know, no. Netflix, if you want me on there. Um, <laughs> yes. I, I do keep mentioning that every so often in the podcast and the hope that, that Netflix go, oh, <laughs> oh, do you know what? I have a whole thing. It would yes. base, It's basically the podcast, but in Netflix style. Yes. Because I, I just think we need to learn from each other. And that was one of the reasons yeah. why I created this podcast, because mm -hmm. I truly believe that only from learning from each other can yes. we develop and get better. Yes. But I think there's a next step within that as well, Toria, and it's having the confidence to then do something with that. Yeah. Because as a leader, you know, there's almost two sorts of leaders. There are those that think they have all the answers and are going to tell us that they've got everything sussed. Yeah. And there are those that are going to be a little bit more vulnerable and be willing to admit that maybe they've got a very good idea where they want to go and a fairly good idea how it might be that they get there, but are willing to actually listen to other voices, willing to engage with others and maybe slightly deviate from that path, but actually get there better in the end because they've not had the sort of pig-headed um, almost overconfidence of saying that they've got all the answers. And actually, when you're talking, you know, what's really coming through to me is that phenomenal leaders are authentic, but they're also honest, you know, that's also with themselves. They are honest with themselves about where yes. they are. And mm -hmm. that goes back to, you know, let's go back to the ECT in the classroom who one day wants to be a head teacher. Mm -hmm. Actually, it's recognizing where they are right now and what yes. they you know what they what they are missing and as you said acting as if they've got the next role but recognizing where the gaps are so that yes. they can actually ensure that those gaps are filled yes you know confidence gets you somewhere mm -hmm. but you know it's it's recognizing that what do i need to do in order to equip myself Yes. To do the job well. Yes. And it's almost demonstrating that to others as well, isn't it? And thinking yeah. about how, you know, as a teacher, there are times where you will have those moments where you actually know the answer, but you're asking your class to, or your group or whatever, whoever you're working with to help you get there, or you, you're deliberately making mistakes to show them those steps. And it's having that confidence sometimes in your own ability as a as a beginning leader or even as a more senior leader to to listen to other people and invite their input, even if only some of that is actually accommodated. Does that make sense? Completely. I'm just sitting here thinking, you know, for listeners, I suppose it's that, you know, what do they take away from our conversation? It's mm. actually they need to they need to think about their values. They need to yes. map out what it is they want. And if they don't quite know where they're going to, yes. where would they like to visit on the way? Mm -hmm. And even if that's only part way there, 
It doesn't mm. have to be like the massive life plan. And uh, I've, got <laughs> yes. a, I've got a daughter and who's 16 at the moment. what are you going to do in the next 40 years? And, yeah, she's, she's absolutely paranoid that in making a decision on whether she does university or not or what she yeah. does at university, she has to have mapped it out till she retires and actually try to sort of unpick that with her and say, look, let's get the first five years and then see what you feel. And let's do something that you're comfortable with or is, is your thing uh, without thinking, I need to be doing it for the next 30 years or 40 years or however long it ends up being. Yeah, I mean, I'm a great one for all we have is today, right yeah. now, this mm-hmm. moment. What is it that will bring me joy right now in this moment? Mm-hmm. And if that's, you know, if the answer is, you know, well, I don't know, but it, it's about making sure that we're not choosing things. And again, not choosing yeah. things because we think we have to. Yes, and I like the way you've paused there and said the answer is, well, I don't know, because that's something yeah. that's going to be different for everybody. And you can't put that word into somebody's mouth where you get the answer is teaching assistant or the answer is yeah. class teacher or the answer is subject leader. Or it's it's not about that. It's about finding out what's important to you and what matches with your values and being really clear on what your values are and then looking for that next little step. Mm. I mean, if you'd have told me that at the age of 50, I would have just completed a diploma in apprenticeship, I'd have been a bit in coaching. I'd have been a bit yes. like, really? Mm-hmm. What? That That's not following the life plan that I had passed, you know, on, no. on a path. But actually, mm-hmm. it, it was what felt right, utterly right and sat right with yes. me. And yeah. I think that's the thing. It's recognizing where we are what we want and that actually as we change and it comes back to that personality i suppose as we yes. change and as we recognize and know ourselves more and yes. deeper then actually we can choose those roles that work better for us and yes. i think you know yeah it's oh my goodness this has been quite a profound conversation at times <laughs> it oliver has, hasn't it we've meandered around it but no it's been really good <laughs> It really has. And listeners, mm-hmm. I truly hope that you have got something out of our journey discussing the journey of leadership. Because yeah. I think I think ju- that there is no such thing as a straightforward journey, is there, Oliver? No. Which is probably why we've meandered. Yes, it's never straightforward, but it should always be something that's enjoyable and something that you get some satisfaction or some joy from as well. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, thank you, Oliver. I very much enjoyed our conversation. And if you want to see what Oliver's written in the book, just get hold of the book, Tiny Voice Talks. As I say, you oh, to use the the code, you need to go to Crown House or Independent Thinking Press. I will put the codes onto the show notes. And then you can have a little look at Oliver's chapter, but you can also have a little look at everyone else's chapters. They're awesome brilliant chapters there are some brilliant chapters in there as well it's not just it's nothing to do with i'm me. gonna ask you did you have another favorite i mean i know what you're gonna answer oh they're all my favorites but um, did you have one that was like oh my goodness that really resonated with i me? i found it really challenging is the wrong word because it's been absolutely lovely reading chapters but it has made me think as i've gone through mm. and almost there are there are times when my answer would be literally the last chapter that i've read because you you finish a chat, you know, it's a short chunk and you come away thinking, wow, that's really, that's either impacted me in some way or it's made me think or I totally agree with that or I, I've taken something away from it. And then there are others that I sort of keep coming back to and keep saying, yeah, that's one of my really sort of favourite chapters, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, what Matt wrote, Matt Shane wrote about 
being you um, and being authentic is for me is is something that I'm sort of working through at the moment and is is really important. So that one is definitely a a key one. Um, be that teacher that Leanne Herring wrote as well. It's right at the beginning of the yeah. book, actually, for me. And I, I, I was on a journey recently and, and took the book with me and thought, right, I'll just open it up. I literally opened it to the first chapter and reread hers. And I was like, wow, that's just nailed it. It's, yeah. it's a really good one. So I think it always feels bad picking out because I could go on and say, you know, I really, really like so-and-so's and I really, really like this one. And I really like, because there are so many good bits in there. But those are the two that just jump out for me. When I put the book together, I wanted there to be something for everyone. But actually what I've found is that for me, I go back, depending on where I am in that moment, yes. I go back to different chapters. Yes. And each one is a small nugget of gold. They're all just little, you know, little jewels. Yes. And some of them are things that you wouldn't pick up normally. You know, I can go to those two because they're almost, they are a comfort zone, but there's a bit of stretch in there. Whereas others, you know, are entirely out of your experience if you're primary or early years based and you're reading something that's been written by somebody in special or secondary or Mm. whatever. But actually you learn an awful lot from those. You really do. Um, and I, you know, as, as I think, you know, one of my favorite chapters is, you know, schemata and five quotes. Yes. I was going to mention that, but I thought I'll leave the gap for you. Yeah. Cause you knew, because I just loved, I remember reading yes. it, you know, Nick is a maths teacher in secondary mm-hmm. and I remember reading it going, wow, like, wow. Because yes. it was just, it was so far away from where I consider, and that, but it really informed my practice. Yes. So yeah. Now, before I let you go, Oliver, Mm-hmm. And I know you answered this a couple of years ago, but I want yes. to know if the answer's changed. Who would be your perfect teacher today? They could be living I, dead. I always dread this question because <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a, a definite answer. I remember on the first time that we talked, talking about how it would be a combination of lots of people that I was in touch with through Twitter mm. and I think on reflection, I'm going to still go with that, actually. And there are there are so many amazing people that I'm in touch with that I just almost taking little aspects of them. And, you know, having Rich Simpson as my English reading teacher would be yes. absolutely amazing. And having Matt Deshane in there somewhere as some sort of PHSE guru type mm. person would be amazing. I'd have to throw Shreb Khan in there as the rebel teacher the sort of thursday afternoon let's do art type of person Mm. Uh, there are so many wonderful people i'm in touch with and i think it would be just that combination of a number of them um that would be amazing yeah i totally get that i really do oliver thank you so much for coming on tiny voice talks and thank you so much for having me it's been lovely really enjoyed it it's been a delight listeners Mm -hmm. i hope you have enjoyed our meandering conversation and in the show notes will be ways to get in touch with oliver but will also be the information about the book and the discount so thank you for listening and thank you oliver again for coming on thank you so much toria